0: really do embrace that kind of idea now that 80% of your success comes through the the mindset, challenging the stories that you tell yourself and changing those stories to ones that are more positive and empowering. Purposely podcast, speaking with social entrepreneurs and charity founders and leaders, people who are making the world a better place. Here's your host, Mark Longbottom.
1: I really want to welcome to Purposely with Julia Capon. Julia is the founder of Do Good Jobs, an online jobs board. It's also a resource for for-purpose and non-profit organizations. Julia is a bit of a serial entrepreneur. You'll hear in this episode how she's the co-founder of ThunderGrid EcoGigs. She's really making her career count. Lovely person, doing amazing stuff. Don't forget to hit subscribe, leave a review, share with friends and family. Enjoy the episode. Julia Carpon, welcome to Purpsey Podcast.
0: Hi, thanks for having me, Mark.
1: Really good to connect. Yeah. You are the founder of Do Good Jobs, amongst a few other things. What's its purpose? What's its mission?
0: I suppose Do Good Jobs, the whole purpose of it is to help people in the for-purpose world to thrive. Um, I figure when they're, when they're thriving, that's when we start to change the world faster and easier. So Do, Do Good Jobs started as a jobs board 10 years ago, a really long time ago, but really more we're morphing into helping upskill people through courses. Um, And also continuing to connect people and support people into what I call for-purpose work. So that could be at charities or at social enterprises, B Corps. So businesses that have more than just kind of profit as their bottom line. So that's really the kind of the essence of what Do Good Jobs is about, connecting good people with great opportunities and job opportunities, but also, yeah, increasingly that course development, professional development and coaching as well.
1: So 2011, how'd you get the idea?
0: So, I just arrived in Wellington in 2011. Previously, I'd been the marketing manager for Trade Aid down in Christchurch. So, um, I left just before the earthquakes in Christchurch. So, the first week I started my new job in Wellington was actually the week of the, the Christchurch earthquake. So, that was a pretty challenging time. But um, I, yeah, I'd moved from Christchurch to Wellington and was searching for jobs. And my background, my study, I suppose, had been in marketing and design. And I kind of went well I want to keep working in the not for profit world. I want to apply the values that I have to the work that I do. So I was looking for work and having to go through Trade Me and Seek and have 101 different filters around charity or sustainability or not for profit, all the variations of work that you um, might want, the kind of the values you might want that also fit within marketing. And it drove me a little bit crazy having to apply all those filters. So I thought, well, maybe there's a there's a gap here. There is a need for a job that helps connect people to who are values-led to jobs that are doing that kind of work. So yeah, kind of started it very much on a shoestring out of my then flat in um, Newtown in Wellington. Uh, and it was just a passion project probably for the past, you know, for the first seven years, it was really a passion project of mine. I was working alongside other organisations, charities, managing charities, and then I probably had a day a week where I was spending time on Do Good Jobs. And it's not until I became a mum four years ago that I really put myself into Do Good Jobs as a kind of my my main role. So that's yeah, that's a little bit of background in terms of why it started.
1: And was there no other was there no other agency, or there was no other kind of specialist um, service for the for purpose sector? Like it was it was just a really clunky.
0: There were two others, Um, one that probably had started 10 years before that even, so probably early 2000s. I think they'd actually gone overseas to Australia to live and there weren't many jobs. There was probably two or three jobs a month popping up on the jobs board. And then the other thing at the time, I when I came to Wellington, I actually joined the board of Global Focus Aotearoa, which was a development kind of resource centre. And they also had a development jobs board. And unfortunately, they lost the funding. Um, they lost quite a lot of funding when a change in government happened. And they were really struggling to keep things going. So I was on the board of Global Focus Aotearoa near the wind up. And one of the things they had was a job board that I'd really appreciated. And they were kind of having to close that as well. So it was a natural um, filling a gap, filling a need that was out there in the world.
1: Yeah. And online skills, you understood how the web works? Like it was fairly straightforward?
0: Yeah. Coming from a marketing background, I had that experience working on websites. And I suppose one of the other things I at the time, was really proud of was that I was kind of a, a Jill of all trades rather than a Jack of all trades. But I was I did a little bit of everything in my marketing roles. So when I had been working with TradeAid, I'd done multiple website developments. So I was pretty confident, you know, using my marketing skills in that way and in, in developing websites. So yeah, it was a natural progression, I suppose, in terms of starting up a website and tinkering around the edges to, to tweak things and make things work.
1: So, side project to begin with, but then, as you said, you started to take it really seriously. Did it kind of grow a life of its own? Like, it became quite a big deal?
0: Definitely. I mean, a lot of the first few years, it was just all about word of mouth and people, you know, kind of sharing with other people, do good jobs. And then more recently, so I had my daughter in 2017, and at that stage, after I'd kind of had six to nine months with her, I decided to put a lot more energy into do good jobs and, and growing that. And one of the realisations I had when we were on holiday, we would went to the UK to visit family and we were in the middle of beautiful Slovenia on the in Europe. Uh, and every time she had a nap, I was just jumping on my computer to do all the admin work that was required for do good jobs. You know, answering customer inquiries, making sure that the website was working okay, dealing with social media things. And I realised that it was just me at the time and I was doing all of this work and I wasn't getting to work on the business so I was working in it rather than working on it and there was a big shift there when I went I need to get out of doing the day-to-day to to free myself up to think about the strategy and the next steps and the development piece um, because I hadn't done that for so long and when I switched to working on the business things just really started to change and accelerate so I brought in a team member to um, do that admin and customer service. That was my my first hire. And then over the past couple of years, I've brought a few more people onto the team as well. So yeah, that's helped to accelerate progress a lot by having a team, but also my focus on the strategy and uh, working on the business.
1: Tell us about the structure, like social enterprise or profit making or
0: Yes, so it's a social enterprise structure. Yeah, I, I've obviously worked in a lot of charities and I know there's also a lot of challenges that come with that. So I'd set it up as a, as a social enterprise. Just being able to make quick um, decisions and choices around what we did and what um, where we went was kind of a key objective for me as well. Yeah, so it's set up as a social enterprise. Obviously, our key part is actually helping connect people to jobs that create social and environmental change, providing a platform for uh, employers to recruit values-aligned people. And then also increasingly, we're working on this professional development piece and coaching for for purpose people so that they can thrive. So, yeah, that's kind of our our model.
1: In, in many ways, great timing, eh? Cause- um, yeah you know, the world is is very much focused on values alignment and and purpose. Give us a feel for sort of success, what success looks like? Like did you have to put your own money into into it to grow, or did you just get a bit more commercial focus with it? How did you kind of
0: superpower? Yeah, for like I said, a long time it was just all done on a shoestring. It was just my time that I gifted to do good jobs. but increasingly, I suppose I've come to realise that. The stories I had around money, and it's been a big side bit of learning for me over the past few years, is thinking that I don't need money when in actual fact, you know, having Do Good Jobs as a side project. I wasn't doing it a good service by not thinking about the money side of things. And passion can really only take you so far. So I suppose that's a warning to people that are starting business is really to think about how to create revenue to sustain your growth, to bring on a team, to help you actually grow and make more impact because that is, that is so important. So I suppose let's, let's not shy away from money is one of the learnings I've had recently and unpacking maybe some of the stories we have around money being, you know, if I have money, then I'm greedy or I'm dirty or whatever, you know, it's all these kind of stories we tell ourselves about money and really money just is, it's just a neutral thing. It's what the stories that we give that gives it an, its interpretation. So yeah, yeah I suppose, the thing I've realized is we need money to survive. We need money to make more impact. And actually, it's a really key thing we have to focus on if you're running a social enterprise. And I I heard something the other day where someone said, money's not everything, but neither is oxygen, but good luck trying to survive without (laughs) enough of it. It's kind of like, yep, I totally agree with that. So yeah, it's the oxygen of our organization. And if we kind of demonize it or we're going to struggle to have that kind of really good relationship with it. Yeah. So a lot of learning for me has been letting go, investing in my own professional development, investing in team and taking the scary step to pay people to come on board and do some of that work and really digging into some of those stories I have around money that I've developed from childhood, you know, brought through to where I am now. So yeah, yeah, side topic, but yeah, <laughs> it's been a really fascinating area to dig into.
1: Because your career has been focused yeah, a lot on, on purpose. So when, you, when yes. you take back to, you know, you did a degree at, Otago BA in Design, is that right, Marketing?
0: Yeah, I did a uh, um, Master's of Business in Marketing. I did a Bachelor of Arts in Design and a minor in Spanish. And I thought, what the heck am I going to ever do with this? And I just went into that career or, or that choice at university based on what I got good grades for. It was There wasn't any bigger picture thinking behind it. But I like to say, you know, my whole career trajectory changed when I met a boy um, and he happened to be studying philosophy at university and asked me some really deep questions about what I wanted to do as a child, what I wanted to do to kind of help save the world, what I wanted to do with my 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 work for the next you know 45 years of my life. Um, and that really got me thinking about what I was studying and why I was studying and what kind of work I wanted to be doing. Um, and that led me onto a journey of I want to work for, Organisations that do good things in the world. So when I left university, it was very much looking at how can I use marketing, design and Spanish to also do good. And I landed my first job at Trade Aid as the marketing manager and I used all three of those skills, which I never thought was going to be possible. I was doing the marketing, I did a lot of design work uh, and I spoke Spanish. I helped translate correspondence from...
1: Just a quick message to say a massive thank you for listening to purposely 91 episodes in and excited about the wonderful guests that have been before and are still to come don't forget to hit subscribe share with a friend tell friends family and colleagues we pick up the episode when julie has joined philanthropy new zealand enjoy the rest of the episode Zealand, a, bit a role for them, which is a sort of an umbrella organisation for all philanthropists?
0: Yep, yeah, it's a membership body for various philanthropic organisations throughout uh, New Zealand. And again, I went into that role thinking I'll, I'll be here as a contractor for six weeks. And I stayed for six months doing the marketing and helping them with their their biannual conference that they run as well.
1: At this point, you are like, got this idea, do you get this real sense that you have to make your time matter and that you you know, you have to be fully engaged, like you're, you're not just going to sit in a role.
0: Definitely. With, I suppose, with that last role at Philanthropy New Zealand, I was doing that because my partner was just starting up a business. Um, I was, I was kind of the main, the main um, income earner in our family whilst he started up a kind of another business called Eco Geek and Thundergrid. And I was, doing that role to bring in money. And we also had a a nine-month-old child at that time. So life was definitely challenging in terms of managing time and income. So I was working 20 hours a week. I was also running Do Good Jobs. And I got to the end of that contract with Philanthropy New Zealand and I thought, I really need to change something. I need to either let go of Do Good Jobs and pass it on to someone else, or I need to fully invest in it and actually say no to any more contract work and other other jobs because I also had the, the job of being a mum and I really wanted to put my time there as well.
1: So let's just take a quick audit. So you're you're a mum, you're helping your partner sort of launch into the startup space in the in the clean, green technology space, and you're also running a business.
0: Yeah. All it was those quite three a things. <laughs> wow. And I think I, I, I thought the other day, you know, there was probably three turning points in my in my life. So A was meeting the boy that changed my, my direction in terms of work. Another B was burnout. And then the third B is a baby. So realizing that, you know, I was overcommitted, I was doing too many things and actually had to focus down onto the one or two things that were really going to help kind of create the change that I wanted to see in the world.
1: Has this transformed your whole approach to how you spend your time, your efficiencies? Like, cause we, you know, prior to this podcast, we had a conversation and we and you have a real passion for or developed the real desire to use your time in the most efficient way and you use tools for that. Yes. Is this when the sort of um this became into real focus?
0: Yeah, definitely. I started investing in myself pretty heavily a couple of years ago. So investing in professional development. Just in terms of, I think I'd stagnated for a long time. I'd sat in the same place and I hadn't really grown or been kind of learning to make sure that I was improving the way that I worked or the way that I did things. And that just really helped to fast track me towards more impact. So, starting to think about what are the things you're doing and let's prioritize the things you're doing. And also, one analogy I think there was you know, you want, what's destination island? Where do you want to be? And how many bridges at the moment are you building to get towards that island and what happens when you start building multiple bridges is you get a lot of uncomplete bridges whereas when you focus on one bridge you can build that bridge successfully then you can go on to building your other bridges and that analogy has stayed with me for a really long time to the point where it's like okay which bridge am I building and which one do I let go of for now until I've completed that that bridge building um, so Do Good Jobs was definitely the bridge I am building and continue to keep building. Yeah, so that's become my focus.
1: And it must be exciting when you put that focus in, you build that bridge and you you sort of get rid of some of those other bridges. Yes. And then you see success comes, like it. Do you, you see the kind of uplift?
0: Yeah, definitely. A lot of that, you know, investment and in professional development has just revolutionized the way that I think around the beliefs I have, like I was saying before about money and time and I suppose in the past, I was really a systems and tools lover. I just thought that they would solve all my problems, that, you know, having the right way to book meetings or to um, the right kind of customer relationship tool or whatever it might be, having those in place was going to save me time, which would free my time up to work on the important things, but often... What I'd find was these systems and tools just took more time, and <laughs> I get stuck in the the little the little changes that were still needed and the tweaks that were needed, and I end up wasting a lot of time. Whereas, when I started to realise that there's there's more than just tools, it's actually around your mindset, the stories you tell yourself, uh, and also having a really clear vision to work towards um, that excites you and kind of keeps you on track. Was the key, and then taking baby steps to get towards that vision was was really key. So yeah, I, I realized that there were three components that you need, and I and I call it the head, heart, hand model. And and of course, I run now, um, which is really about getting your head in the right place, getting the your mindset in the right place, getting your heart in the right place, knowing where you're going, your roadmap, your vision, and the strategy, and then having the right tools and systems. So, I used to be probably 90% tools and systems, not much strategy uh, and not much digging inside and into my into my head in terms of my mindset and my beliefs. Whereas now I've really turned that on, on its head and 80% of my time is probably sent, spent on strategy and mindset and 20% on the tools.
1: Wonderful. So head, hand, heart, and that's a framework you've kind of come up with. And how does it what do you is it on bits of paper is it on the wall like how is it what's the sort of sort of representation of on a daily basis that you get reminded of those three things for you
0: yeah so I mean it's it's a core part of um, a course I, I teach called the for purpose accelerator which is kind of an eight-week course where I work with people particularly leaders in the for, for purpose world so it's a whole load of different content that we focus on but that comes down to The headpiece is just ongoing work for myself, is recognising the stories I tell myself as they pop up. Like, I don't have enough time to do this, or, you know, I'm the only one who can do this, this certain task. Actually digging into those stories and saying, is this way of thinking helping or hindering me? And that's just a constant process. That's something that, you know, you, you open one door and there's 100 more to go through. So it's a very gradual, gradual process. But I think someone said, you know, 80% of success is mindset and 20% is the tactics, so the the tools or the systems. Yeah. And I really, I really do embrace that kind of idea now that eighty percent of your success comes th- through the the mindset, challenging the stories that you tell yourself and changing those stories to ones that are more positive and empowering.
1: Fantastic. And you do you struggle yourself, keep you on track? You teach it, but do you struggle?
0: I I have the tools in place to really keep me focused now. So that, I suppose, comes into that heart piece in terms of I have a very clear vision, not just a type of vision that you write out and we're going to be this size and it's going to have this many people. Uh, The exercises I do around vision are very, they kind of really paint a picture in your head of what, say, the next 10 years looks like. So one that I can really see and feel and know what my life looks like, know what my work looks like, just one that really energises and gets me excited and keeps me on track. Um, and sometimes, you know, it seems really wild to begin with, but you realise that in order to get to that wild vision, it just requires lots of little baby steps and taking taking consistent action is really key. So just getting 1% better at something every day. I think there's a book called Atomic Habits. Um, James Clear, he talks about just getting 1% better every day means that we get 37% improvements in a year. So I love teaching that to my students throughout my courses. It's like we just need to get 1% better in what we do or make 1% progress each day. And it has huge impacts over, say, the next 10, 20 years.
1: You're building a bridge towards Do Good Jobs. You've, you're talking about helping your partner launch EcoGeeks and also ThunderGrid. Grid. Yep. Tell us a bit about those businesses and that you know focus on on the environment.
0: Definitely. So as I said, when I just had my daughter, um, my partner, hes I suppose he's always been a bit of a salesman or a business development person. He had been working in sustainability and doing a lot of home um, audits around Wellington. And he had a huge passion for sustainability and helping people to live comfortably, have, be in healthy homes, but also um, save energy. And he went on to being a energy manager up at Victoria University, and it was really time for him to step into his own into his own business. That's just kind of his mindset. He always looks for ideas and business ideas. So he started a business, we started one together called EcoGeek, which was really around low carbon solutions. So anything from heating, LED lighting, and we started to get into electric vehicle charging infrastructure. So Realising four years ago there was not a lot of electric vehicles in New Zealand, Um, there's definitely a huge upswing these days. Uh, And we have now created another business called ThunderGrid, which is around EV charging infrastructure. So that is helping people, predominantly government organisations, to transition to electric transportation and really helping them figure out the piece of the puzzle, which is how do we recharge our electric vehicles without placing strain on our buildings or on the grid? So really thinking about providing a very smart piece of charging infrastructure to help people to charge their cars. Obviously, if you're a government organisation and you put 40 electric vehicle chargers in a basement car park and you plug them all in at the same time, that's going to wreak a bit of havoc on your power supply in a building. So you have to think smartly about how you manage that power and we use a lot of um, really great systems and tools called dynamic load management, which looks at what's happening in the building and the car charging and modulates the power that the cars get based on, um, based on what else is happening in the building. So yeah, it's a really exciting business, and it's a growth area, obviously, with lots and lots of people transitioning to electric vehicles. And I was very much in a doing role when it started, but now we've grown into a team of fifteen. So it's uh, less of me doing and more of me kind of advising and supporting now than it used to be. So definitely nose in and fingers out is where I am trying to get to <laughs> with, that, with that role.
1: So just to clarify, partner's name? Johnny. Johnny. So Johnny, at this point where he's he's launched EcoGeek and, and you're supporting him, he's, it's products and advice, but it's bit more of an outlier business and soon now, you know, there's not enough hours in the day. There's not enough, they haven't got enough staff to cover the demand, like it's off the rectal scale in terms of demand now?
0: Yes, yeah, we, um, it's just been growing and growing and growing. And again, it's like, which bridge are we building? We're constantly looking at that because we had this, you know, EcoGeek, which was around heating and sustainability, but we are progressively moving out of that and towards more of the EV charging infrastructure just because that's where there's heaps of demand at the moment. Obviously, there's also demand for good heating. But where we want to put our time and our energy is in the EV charging. So we're building the bridge towards the EV charging infrastructure business, and we've brought some people on to do some of the the heating inquiries and sales that we used to do as well. So, yeah, it's kind of choosing those paths that we want to focus on. And investing, making the scary, uncomfortable decision to invest in bringing people on to do that work as well. It's Definitely, getting into that uncomfortable position more and more has really helped us grow. And I love, I love talking to my students about doing the thing that makes you uncomfortable is often the place where you grow. So for me, you know, it's doing public speaking, jumping on podcasts, or doing, um, I'm doing a disrupt HR talk, a five minute talk next, well, a couple of weeks away. But those kind of things are uncomfortable. But I know that when I do them, that's when I also grow as a person. Yeah. So yeah.
1: And as a family, bootstrapping the business like that's another uncomfortable um, piece in terms of throwing your money into it?
0: Yes. Yeah, definitely. It's terrifying and it's just next level terrifying every year. <laughs> um, but it's also where we really have the conviction and belief that this is the right place to go. We have clarity on what we want to do and what we want to achieve. So it doesn't feel so scary to make those investments in your own business.
1: So put the house on the line, like mortgage the <laughs> house up to that sort of level or...?
0: Not so bad. We, I mean, we were lucky in that um, very privileged position to have bought our house eight years ago, and to have bought it before the market went crazy in Wellington. So we had a, you know, a relatively small ma- ma- mortgage compared to what people are having these days, which enabled us really to take those risks. I think in terms of stepping into a business and starting a business. But I didn't I wasn't in that position when I started do good jobs. I didn't have, you know, I didn't have a house. I just had some extra time. So I suppose just looking at it from both from both business perspectives, that you don't have to necessarily be in a kind of privileged position to, you know, of owning a house to kind of launch a business. You can definitely do it, you know, I was just I was just working part-time, living in my flat in in Newtown, and I was able to kind of start up at uh, something on the side that didn't take too much time at the beginning.
1: And how do you deal when things do get stressful, whether it's with Thundergrid or whether it's with Do Good Jobs or, you know, and you I imagine both businesses will come under fire. I can, I can imagine Do Good Jobs has come under sort of fair amount of intense fire from some like Seek or those other online job portals. How do you deal with that? Do you you double down? Does it motivate you? What what people do externally, does that have an effect on you or do you just keep focusing on those bridges you've built?
0: I think I suppose I just focus on where I'm responsible and what I can do um, rather than worrying about kind of external parties. And I, I think for Do Good Jobs, we've built up a reputation of really being values focused and there's not many other people out there who are doing that. Uh, So last year as an example we launched, um, we joined the show the salary movement for Do Good Jobs which was a really simple shift for us which was we made the salary field mandatory on Do Good Jobs. So I believe and one of our values is kind of at Do Good Jobs is around you know transparency, trust, diversity, decreasing pay gaps, all of that kind of stuff and embracing show the Salary was really about living those values. So that's something I'm really proud to say that we did. We've now made that yeah. salary field mandatory and so many of our job seekers thank us for that because A, it doesn't waste their time, but also it helps to kind of address the pay inequities that we have around gender, race, diversity. So yeah, that's one of our great achievements over the past year.
1: Do you think that puts people off Using your service?
0: It may from an employer perspective, but really, if they don't want to list the salary, then possibly not the kind of employers we want listing with us. Yeah. If they're not happy to be transparent with salaries, then they maybe should go and find another jobs board. And we're, we're happy to draw that line in the sand and say, these are our values and we're sticking to them.
1: Yeah, and that goes back to that purpose and why you're here. Yeah. And has it come under fire from some of the big jobs boards? Like, what has been, like, cause you you... Have a specialist topic, if you like, or topics. Yeah. Where others are more general. Where have and you you know you've won. Where, where have you won?
0: I think it's just attracting that values aligned uh, community of people is really our our biggest asset. So people who want to do good things in the in the world, you know, coming um, naturally um, attracted to do good jobs and what we do and love the quality of the jobs that are listed on our website and the values alignment and saving their time not having to look through the other big job boards out there. I think that's our main, I suppose, our our main way of differentiating ourselves. And I, I don't, really don't see ourselves, you know, we can never compete with Seek or Trade Me. We're never gonna have that development budget and the bells and whistles that they offer on their, on their platform. But what we can do is really hold our values.
1: Yeah, wonderful. And Vision for the Future, maybe it's relevant to you as a family. So you're building these bridges and simultaneously, if you like. Do you go as far as sort of imagining like what the future looks like for the businesses and for you maybe as as a family?
0: Yeah, definitely. I think kind of thinking about the future, both your personal life, your your family life and your work life are so intertwined, particularly when you're kind of the founder of an organization. They are so linked. So when we when I talk about, you know, my 10 year vision, that's everything from how I wake up in the morning, where we're living, what I eat for breakfast, like the blueberries I've grown on my from my blueberry bush in the garden, you know, that kind of stuff. That's the that's the level of things I do in our in our visioning. We've got at home here a vision board of kind of the ideal Kind of relationships we want to have, the the life we want to have, the freedom we want to have, the house we want to have, and all of that kind of really getting that out on paper is a really great way to kind of align ourselves to where we want to go in the future.
1: Yeah, it gives a quick feel for what that looks like. I'm I'm guessing uh, Tesla is involved. Um, <laughs> How did you there know? There might be some. <laughs> there might be a sort of five acres of beautiful rolling countryside and South. Self- Supporting the food you grow or something. Yes, I, this is yep, my vision. That's,
0: that's definitely kind of what it <laughs> looks like. Um, the Tesla was on there. I think we're shifting. We're like, oh, do we want the Tesla or do we want something else? The Tesla's on there. The kind of organic garden and land and lifestyle, some solar panels being off grid is kind of one of our dreams as well, obviously, with that focus on low carbon around happy relationships, healthy family, kind of happy family, healthy bodies, healthy minds, learning, development eating well, lots of that stuff ties into our into our vision board. and also supporting and connecting other people, I think is part of of our vision as well. So how do we support other people to live low carbon lifestyles? How do we support other people to to find work that they are passionate and engaged with? How do we help upskill those people so they're not burnt out and over it, which is what I see so often in the for-purpose world, just people overwhelmed with work and and kind of over their work and thinking about leaving, and I I don't want that to happen. So helping make sure that they have the skills to deal with overwhelm, to prioritise, to focus, to get themselves out of that kind of negative mindset and towards a more positive one. So that's really our vision. Wonderful. And we tried to do that in, in images. It's quite hard, <laughs> but we have—we actually have put together a vision board that is displayed as a kind of a screensaver on our te- television. So we see it every day, and it pops up, and it kind of reminds us of what we're working towards.
1: Wonderful, Gillika Carfon, Thank you very much for joining on Purposely.
0: Thanks very much for having me, Mac. Thanks for listening to Purposely podcast please subscribe and leave a review. I hope you like what you're
1: hearing, because I sure do.